It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm always excited to talk ball with today's guest, Coach Cody Alexander. If you don't know his website, then you probably haven't been studying the game. It's matchquarters.com. Cody has been on the podcast a few times here, and he's the creator of Match Quarters, the author of five books on defense, a former Texas high school football coach, FBS defensive GA, and just an incredible amount of knowledge that he has, and he shares on his website. So, Coach, great to have you back here talking ball. Yeah, glad to be on. Thanks for having me. So, Cody, tell us what you're up to now. I know you've made some changes, but I think it's an evolution for you, and it's something exciting and certainly something that's going to help coaches out there. Yeah, so I'm I'm taking a break from coaching and teaching. I'm going to focus a little bit more on being home. I got three little ones, but what that also is allowing me to do is, one, to watch more football, and two, to study more football that I want to do and really focus on kind of scaling uh, match quarters and, and kind of giving it the love that it, it's kind of needed the past couple years. So when I ran into you in San Antonio a couple weeks ago, we got to talking and said, hey, it's time for you to come back on the podcast. And before we head into the 2022 season, let's talk a little bit about things that trended last year and the direction that you see things going in the game scheme-wise in 2022. So I'll kick it over to you and your first thoughts on some of the trends you're seeing. Well, if we're talking NFL, it's definitely going to be two high shell structures, especially like when you look at offenses that are more like the McVay system, the Chiefs having that too high shell, compressing everything down to the low, kind of that 10 to the line of scrimmage region and making these, you know, making your athletes make plays in space, but it's more or less constrained space. It's really not giving up the deep ball, what I call fatals. You know, that's something that's really just has completely changed in the NFL over the past couple of years has been this trend of it's been a majority middle of the field close. You can tell it at the beginning of the snap. There's never really been much kind of disguise about it. And then now everybody's running everything from a too high shell to kind of combat these these power these power offenses that we're seeing. And it's going to be interesting kind of the evolution off of that is how offenses are going to react from that. You know, obviously we've already gone through the phase of the Tampa two. This is a little bit different than that. I don't, per, I don't foresee going back to Neanderthal ball where everybody's running in three yards in a cloud of dust. I think analytics has pretty much killed that from coming back. 
So I'm interested to see how that more teams are going to start running more nickel to high shells and then how offenses are going to react to that, especially at the NFL level. So you mentioned the McVay type of offenses, and we've certainly seen those trend uh, over the course of the last several years. And obviously guys who have worked together closely, you know, go back to the Washington Redskins lab where you had McVay and Kyle Shanahan and Matt LaFleur, Mike McDaniel now head coach of the Dolphins. All those guys working together there have certainly, while they've evolved in different ways, there's definitely a core belief in what they do and and built around the outside zone. Yeah, and that's where the too high shell, I think, comes in, especially with pop motions or quick motions, however you want to classify them. You know, Kirby Smart has talked about that kind of, there's been a trickle-down effect back in kind of that recycling of ideas of how, okay, well, a lot of these college offensive ideas have now gone into the NFL, you know, Andy Reid has talked on on numerous occasions about how NFL is about five years behind the college game in terms of offense. But I think you're starting to also see the trickle down of wide zone concepts using the the pre-snap motions, reductions and condensed sets, stacks, bunches, all within that. You know, Kirby Smart, going back to my statement, Kirby Smart talked about how that has changed the way that they start running their their defenses they're seeing more too high shell more down uh kind of keeping that even evenness on the formation so that when things do move you're not necessarily wholesale changing that that's why you know sims and creepers started coming up uh, a couple years ago as this popular thing Sims is like a third down package deal 5-0 pressures make it look like something but only rush four and now we're starting to see them more as off ball early down how are we going to uh, kind of bring the pressure to the offense on first down so with that in mind what are some of the the movements you've seen you know we see however they call it however they line in it you see a lot of, of teams will get to the same type of movement so what have you seen trending in that regard I think you're seeing a lot more of these reductions where you're getting, and I call them reductions. It's where you take the formation and you reduce everybody in, into the kind of in a in a it kind of in in college it's between the hash and then in the NFL everybody's kind of in the middle of the field. And the reason why you do that, especially if you run outside zone, is that you're trying to force the corner to make that tackle and to force that thing back. And, you know, it's the old Alex Gibbs saying that we don't block the corner. We make we, we make him show us that he can tackle before we start blocking him. And I think in the NFL we've come – the corner position is such a specialized position in the sense that it's, it, even in zone-heavy schemes, it's still very much a man-technique-based position. And it's kind of one of those that it's a specialty position. And they're not necessarily asked to always be in the run fit. At the college level, that's a little bit different. The proliferation of the Iowa State system that we've seen, that 3-3-3 kind of all over. You know, Now your corners or your trap corners, they're required to tackle. They're required to have some sort of a force on the backside uh, in your buy one stuff. So there's – at the NFL level, I just don't see the legitimacy of that. They're not going to make, you're not going to pay that guy tens of millions of dollars to go to go tackle ball carriers. So I think the the answer is for offenses anyway is to get everybody reduced and force these corners to then make tackles. It also forces your your defense to if you're going to constantly play with a third corner, he better be a corner that can tackle. 
And so it changes the schematics there. And I think what you're, I think the trend that you've seen, especially in the draft this year, has been let's get as many safeties as we can, let's get as many corners as we can. But the safety position primarily is there, and it's kind of an arm, but the big nickel, right, where we have three safeties on the field, especially if we're going to be able to get, if we're getting a lot of reductions and crossing routes and things like that. He doesn't necessarily have to be in a one-on-one man coverage. Uh, kind of kind of area looking at the things that go along with that right the the run game is certainly in in those types of offenses in that tree the run game is the quarterback's best friend because play action is a huge part of it right and we've seen that right in the NFL I know last year at the cool clinic uh, pro football focus specifically talked about the play action pass and uh, certainly that's been a, a big topic here you know, as we've gone into this era of RPO and a lot of guys saying, well, you know, RPO is just my play action, but there certainly is a place for it in offenses. And it definitely causes uh, some some people some headaches on defense. So what do you see in, in regards to being able to be sound against the play action? That goes back to what we first talked about, which is these two high shells. And, and I think initially, and I don't think it's necessarily big now, but initially a lot of people would see, oh, two high shell, they must be running cover two, or they must be running quarters. And that is, that's further from the truth. Um, if you go and you actually look at what the Rams have done, and go and look at what Staley has done off of the Fangio tree, and even Fangio, they are primarily middle-of-the-field closed defense. They're running single-high structures post-snap, and that, I think, is where uh, kind of the genius in it and kind of the evolution is going. If I have a two-high shell, right, and I have a typical – let's take a typical nickel defense. I've got four linemen. I've got two linebackers, I've got a nickel, whether it's a, a, a safety or a corner, and then I've, so I've got my five DBs, I've got my four, two, five, right? And if I look the exact same on every snap, it's really hard pre-snap for you to get a tell, right? You can start looking at, and, and here's the thing, especially at the level, it's really hard to get a high school quarterback that's 16, 17 years old to start looking at the techniques of the, of the corner or the safety or the contour, which safety is lower, which safety is higher. Then you go into the college. And because a lot of times coaching is so different, there's such a vastness of really well-coached teams to poorly coached teams. And the kind of the talent is so much vast difference from good and bad at the high school level. You go to the college level, it gets a little bit easier, right? You have a little bit higher caliber athlete, a little bit higher talent, but it's still difficult for you to sit there and say on every snap, what are the contours? What are the angles of the DBs? How are we doing this? What are, where are my eyes looking? This is all pre-snap, right? At the NFL level, you can kind of get a tell uh, because everybody, because it's middle of the field, they use divider rules, meaning what what's the leverage of the DB so you can kind of have an idea of, of where everybody's going to end up. But what happens is when I have two high shell, I can align almost the same way every single time. And you really don't have a pure tell every single time. So all of my movement is post snap going back to play action if my, I'm a quarterback, I have to use play action. 
and I've got to make sure I know where the running back is, especially if I'm under center. My back is then going to be turned. We're talking about wide zone offenses, right? That's kind of the trend. Everybody's running wide zone offenses. Well, play action off wide zone. I've got to turn my back, and I've got to show the ball. I think Peyton Manning has talked about this before, about when you're really doing this wide zone play action, you have to show the ball. You, it, uh, if you don't show the ball, you, it doesn't matter. Every, it, the defenders see it, and, and it, it doesn't matter. Well, that's an elongated time where that quarterback has to then turn around and reprocess and re, regain his mental model. So my pre-snap mental model and my I've got to guesstimate where I think everybody's going to be in, in contrast to whatever concept we're running off the wide zone now I turn my back, I think, okay, well, I'm, I think we're going to have a two-high safety shell. The next thing I know, they're, ro- they're running weak rotation, and the safety slams down on the crossing route that I thought was going to be open because he has leverage from depth. I think that's the, that is the trend, and I think that's kind of the buy-in from a lot of these NFL teams is that forever they've been getting killed by the deep cross, and they've been watching guys like Tyree Kill just run wild with it. And how can we – keep our middle of the field closed shell, but yet leverage and mitigate the risk. Well, the only way to do that is to play your safeties from depth, but it also puts pressure on quarterbacks to make then reprocess that with a full rush coming to them. And I, and I've talked about this before. There's really, you know, the big thing everybody does in the off season is these quarterback tiers, right? Well, it's evident. Everybody argues about different quarterbacks. Well, what what is evident is that there's not very many elite quarterbacks. On any given year, there's only about five or six, maybe, and, and probably less. There's usually about four, right? So how can I compete with these other mediocre quarterbacks that I can, you know, that it's the bell curve, right? I know the bad ones. I can do whatever I want to them. But these mediocre ones, these ones that are just good enough to make you to make you pay for things, how can I get them confused? And the best way to do that is to have a static shell and make them have to react to it post-snap. In that regard, obviously, if you start covering up that cross really well and those routes off of the, you know, the, the bootlegs, the nakeds, you're going to see Kyle Shanahan's Wiley, McVay and Shanahan. I, I see it more and more, more teams using that uh, where, you know, you got the, the stretch going the one way, the quarterback looks like he's going to come out on the boot, and then that that Y is just sneaking underneath everybody. It's you know becomes like a wheel route up the sideline there. So uh, ways that you see people come combating that is it's a tough one to defend. Yeah, and that's the thing. Anytime you have those low crosser, and, and I think the play you're talking about is leak. It's that low cross, and then it turns into a wheel route. You know, and that's kind of where the beauty of having kind of that weak rotation away from the passing strength is that you that guy isn't necessarily that you're not going to have a, a high cross with the leak route you want everything front side you want everybody moving front side and then leak that guy out and so what that allows you to do because you're using weak rotation is that that guy can sit right there and if that tight end turns up the hash or turns up the numbers, you already have safeties right there. Even if you've latched on that corner and he's chasing a, a low, like a low mesh route across, or you run him on uh, kind of like a, a, a divider route where he's just working to the middle of the field. So that too high leverage allows that safety time because he's looking front side. So any kind of cross action, 
he can play off of that and kind of have a better idea where he can come off and take the leak and let the corner take that that kind of that that drag across the the middle of the field. Looking at defeating pass protections and and probably could get into it in some of the the talk on college ball too, but you know utilizing a different scheme, but you know the offense is not just going to let that that guy who's a dude and there's so many of them in the NFL. Um, just get one-on-one all the time. So you see, you know, the nudge protections. You see somebody, it could be a receiver, coming in to chip that guy just just to get his attention so that, one, the timing's a, a little messed up for him, and two, that tackle has some opportunity then to go ahead and get a better piece of him. So what things have you seen in terms of trying to combat some of those guys who uh, are really studs off the edge and is that going to be something you think done with scheme, technique, alignment? I mean, I've seen, for example, a couple of years ago, I didn't see it as much last year, but Miles Garrett, right, they just started putting him inside on a guard and letting him beat the guard. So any, anything you see trending there? Yeah, it, one of the biggest trends, you know, we talk about coverage first mentality. Everybody's kind of playing with these more or less like these Sims and Creepers. We're have, we want seven-man pass distributions. Um, I think what the Rams have really showed is that if you have a five-man rush that's legitimate, you can run some kind of fire zone concepts behind it and not zone, like true zone, fire zone, but more of a match, kind of more of a zone match concept behind it where people aren't just spot dropping to areas. And you go and you look, the best example of this is the evolution of the Georgia Bulldogs, of how you know, they were a tight front team, and then they go now to being more of a four-down team because of who they have, right? Go look at all the defenders that they, that they got drafted last year. And one of the big things that they did this year to create was to run five-man pressures from this four-down alignment. So that even if they didn't bring any pressure, they're still getting that traditional four down alignment and they're still getting their, they can play their games. And I think that's another thing is playing games early and downs that are, that are kind of utility games. Like, like uh, for instance, uh, read pop is a good one where the three techniques going to work through the B gap and end up getting contained. I would call that cop and the DN is going to stab and fold back inside. So it's it's giving the illusion of even spacing because I have and, and all spacing means is is do we have open B gaps right it's it's do we fit how are we fitting it Tri- typical four down rules everybody has a gap there's an open B gap bubble and changing that post snap to odd spacing where now the B gaps are closed I've got a nose closing an A gap I've got a backer in the A and I've got a backer in the C. And the way that they've been able to do that is really with in, box pressures from their inside guys or inside box box backers blitzing, creating five-man rushes. What they're doing is basically taking that Rams model, and, and they're saying, look, we're going to put five people on live scrimmage. We have better dudes than you, so now we're going to get a one-on-one, and we're more likely going to win that. And coverage isn't that big of an issue because we know we're going to win it. So – it used to be, like you said, you move your guy around, right? But it, once you move your guy around, you're kind of limiting what you can do because 
you you kind of have a package, right? Okay, well, if we're going to move Miles Garrett inside, this is the package we're going to run with that to create this. And so you kind of have – you kind of create uh, kind of a small selection of plays. What you can do now with these five-man pressures and, – and Dave Aranda has a, an unbelievable quote it, he did for 20, uh, 247 Sport uh, kind of post-spring when he was talking about how they were having – he kind of uh, dissected what George was doing. More five-man pressures uh, to create one-on-ones. It also forces the back to stay in. So even if you don't don't hit the one-on-one you want, or you win necessarily the rush, you've you now have a plus one plus two advantage in coverage because even though you've only got six guys in coverage, you have four receivers on routes. So I'm plus two in the coverage, and that's how they're changing the math by doing that five-man rush. So I think we'll see more five-man pressures really pin, right? This isn't just we're we're not throwing haymakers. This is surgical. Uh, And so I think to me that's been the trend that I saw last year that I see kind of that will probably be a trend going into this year. Well, we've mentioned Kirby. We've mentioned Dave Aranda. So let's get into some of the trends you're seeing at the college level. I know we talked uh, briefly. You mentioned uh, Iowa State and what they do. So what are you seeing now in 2022 on the college side of things? There were a few teams last year toying with what the Rams were doing with the five man fronts, kind of the five one, they call it penny having the fire zone coverage behind it and, and playing with that, especially against kind of the spread, very zone centric teams. I think you'll see an uptick in that, especially with these teams that are kind of in along the lines of Hey, we're kind of a, a a creeper sim team. This matches with what we're doing. We're just putting a guy down on the line. That will be a trend. I think the four down is back. I think the tight front. I think you kind of what ends up happening in the tight front is that you're always blitzing the C gap. You got to constantly be uh, bringing pressure, or you're trying to create over under reductions just in moving the linemen constantly. I think what you saw with other moving four down you ask them well why are you running more four down this year well it's like we need pass rush people are passing more on first down we we can stop the run by using some the way that you teach a g front so that would be like your no instead of having a shade nose you has to now run kind of odd spacing creepers and sims out of a four down alignment up the playbook and you can kind of bring that more you layer your schematics it's harder for offenses to figure out you know I've always said we're talking about this kind of like running these creepers and sends from four down you ask any offensive coordinator around the country a major uh, to run their favorite play against uh, a defense a majority of them will put a four down in front of you because it's easy, right? The angles are there. You know, everybody kind of has an idea of what you're doing. In an odd front team, a lot, especially at the lower levels, people are moving, people are blitzing all the time. But I think at the at the college level, what you're seeing now is the passing game has gotten so good, even at, at some of these teams that aren't great, right, that everybody now can pass the ball. It used to be, well, they, you know, only the big schools had the good quarterbacks. Now everybody's got quarterbacks. Everybody's got receivers. You know, I think seven-on-seven seven has really changed the way that kids develop in the game. We have more receivers than more quarterbacks are had before, uh, and they don't – you're not necessarily missing, right? So 
to me, that has been a big trend is how can we have early down pass rush, but also down against the run. And one way to do that has kind of been that, that kind of that peso package. If I'm an odd front where we were now that two, that two five look, uh, Wisconsin ran it really, really well last year with their four really good linebackers that they had. It's something that Iran has been doing forever, but even Iran and the Baylor bears, they were much more kind of under uh, kind of even spacing than, than they were um, even just they ran tight a bunch, but that is their base, but everything is built off of that. And you, you still see that trend and more of, Hey, we got to have these solid edges so that we can still get an edge rush uh, even on first down. Looking on the offensive side, of things RPO has not stopped trending uh, guys are finding more and more creative ways to do it they're attacking level three more in regards to stopping the RPO what are some of the answers you've seen developed yeah it goes back to kind of what we talked about at the beginning is these two high shells playing from depth again you're not necessarily playing quarters I think a, a lot of what you're seeing now is so and then we're going use our safeties as levers and wherever you're running that rpo we're going to try and take it away that's why i think bracket coverage which is the nickel defender is now outside the slot most of standard practice at the college level uh nfl's a little different because of all all the different types of formations you see but even at that level, the the nickel's playing outside leverage most of the time on the slot. And what that does is it eliminates any of your outside routes, right? Like we're not the, – the day of just being able to toss out a bubble screen or toss out a switch screen is, is over. You, you know, you can get it in certain looks, but that can't be the base way that you run your RPO. Kind of that West Virginia zone read option stuff that – got really popular at the beginning of the, of the tens, you know, that kind of, you can, might be able to get away with that at the high school level versus some teams, but not every team. Uh, I think even it, that's one trend that I feel like more high school teams should pick up is running more bracket concepts. I think it unlocks your defense. You can now run cover three relatively easy. You can run your rip list. Uh, you can run weak rotation, strong rotation. You can do whatever you want with that nickel out because again, it's all about, does my pre-snap look static? Does it look the exact same every time? And if I always align the nickel outside, now I can bring the front side safety down and play uh, what I call buzz or bring the weak side safety down and kind of like a rip Liz concept. So you've got all these options that you can do just from lining that guy up outside. And now what you're seeing is in breaking routes. You're seeing get whoever's in charge of the screen to run up and then they're throwing kind of either a bender back inside or a fin back inside or even a curl sitting right underneath of that safety or whoever the deep player is. So to me, that has been the trend on offense, especially here. I know in the Metroplex here in Dallas, that's kind of how everybody runs it, two back, you know, kind of get that wide splits and then run fin routes and hitch routes just off of leverage. There's been a, a trend towards playing from the table and using leverage to kind of mitigate the risk so that even if you run a play action or you run a vertical, I'm, I'm still coming from depth and I can see it clearly uh, from the beginning. I've always argued that it's, it's easier to play down than it is to play back as a defensive back. 
shells uh, allows you to, to leverage a lot of these routes that you're seeing from offenses right now. From a personnel perspective, we're seeing more of the 12 and 21 type of personnel groups being used now. You know, the the tight end left the game for a while and came back much more dynamic. And I think that's what you're seeing with fullbacks now, too, where those guys used to be the extra guard. Now those guys certainly are involved a lot. They're doing a lot of things, not just uh, run game-wise and blocking, but certainly getting involved in the pass game. And then utilization of those guys in multiple sets, right? You could keep running some tempo-type things, by having guys who are able to align at different spots on the field, not changing personnel, and you get into some of those advantages of the matchups that you have. So uh, anything you've seen in terms of dealing with those multiple personnel groupings, especially as now they're getting bigger? Yeah, it goes down to what are you willing to do with that nickel position? Are you willing to keep a third corner in there or are you going to start having to play a safety and can that safety play from the nickel position? I think it, it, you know, what you typically seen is if you bring 12 personnel in, what we're going to do is we're going to go to a bare front. We're going to kind of run that traditional three, four with two high and we're probably going to spend, but what you're seeing now with, especially with some of these tight ends, yes, there's a blocking tight end, but, and a receiving tight end, what is the formation? What are the matchup issues? Um, you look at teams like uh, the Cowboys uh, football outsiders just ran, uh, wrote a, an article on how the Cowboys and the bills ran nickel way more than anybody else. In fact, they didn't even run it. You know, the Cowboys barely even ran their base. So they were willing to keep everybody on there regardless of what you had on there. Uh, I go back to when I grew up in the 90s, uh, everybody played all 11 football. It was everybody on your starting 11 had to know how to play the slot receiver or where to line up in different formations. It's just kind of how how you did it. Um, And so defenses didn't necessarily have to package things. Then you start getting into some of these higher levels and you start getting into these fullbacks that are essentially just as good as, as any wide receiver on our team. We've got receivers that can play running back. And so what it does is it allows you to play all 11 football again, and you're forcing the defense to really show your hand. Well, if they go small, then we're going to play big boy ball with 12 personnel. If they go big, we're going to, in our 12 personnel, we're going to go ahead and spread you out because we have a tight end or better than your Sam linebacker, or we have a, we, our second tight end is still more athletic than your Mike. So it's like, we, it's kind of, uh, it's hard for defenses now because you, you kind of almost have to pick something and you have to live in it. And that's kind of where the offense always has the upper hand is that they know what they're doing. Defense is more reactionary. And so I think what we're seeing now with defenses is how can we mitigate as much risk as possible without completely going to a a kind of a package system. I think even in the NFL where they're trying not to allow you to go hurry up and tempo and things like that, you still see offenses wanting to run relatively fast because you don't, they don't want you to sub once they get you in a package that they like. Um, So I think that that's kind of something that you're seeing, especially on the offensive side of the ball is, and really defense is the hybridization of the sport. We play in a space sport. Football is a space sport. 
and I and I know people roll their eyes when people try and talk football the same way that you talk about basketball or you talk about soccer. And I wrote in hybrids a couple of years ago that if you go and you look at team space sports, hockey, uh, soccer, and basketball, what is everything? Ha- what's happening in all of these? People are becoming hybrids, and they're moving further out. Everything is further out, creating more space for for the guys inside to make to to make plays. And to me, that's what's happening in football, is that everybody's kind of becoming a hybrid. You've got to be able to add value. You've got to be able to do more than just be a straight line runner. You got to be more than just a power back. You got to be more than just a pass receiving back. You got to be more than just a third down edge rusher. You know, you talk about some of these edge players, and they're talking about, man, I've been working on coverage this year. Um, I think Micah Parsons in my in my my town in Dallas. You know, the big thing that he was talking about this offseason, you know, I'm trying to get better on coverage. You know, I'm trying to become a complete a complete a complete player. And so, to me, I think that's where we're at in football is that it's it's about space. Offense is trying to create it. Defense is trying to constrain it. And, and that constant ebb and flow of development and evolution. And I think right now, defensively, it's come down to we're going to use leverage uh, from depth as a way to answer some of these space problems that we're having against some of these offenses. You mentioned tempo here. A little bit, and that certainly is, I think, a part of this, right? And being able to be in a bigger group, let's say, and then with tempo get into that spread set, so there's not an opportunity for the defense to sub in a, a package because maybe it's third down or whatever it might be. So I've certainly seen though the defenses have adopted procedurally a lot of the things that offenses have, from one-word calls to even picture boards, right? Uh, what are some of the things you've seen in terms of being able to play a certain coverage, blitz, front, whatever you want, and not being dictated to by tempo to have to play vanilla? I think what you're seeing a lot is uh, the dropping of uh, field and boundary uh, in terms of call structure. Um, unless it's just you know you want this from the boundary or you want to attack the boundary on this down and distance. Um, I think you're seeing a lot of people start to drop the wristbands. Um, I've actually had uh, multiple people uh, within just the past week contact me about how are you calling in your defense? Are you using wristbands? Are you using hand signals? I've never been a wristband guy, but I'm biased because I work for Art Bryles. Uh, and I just remember the Gary Patterson defenses staring down at the wrists as we're running verticals down down the field. So I, you know, to me, I have a little, I'm a little bit biased against wristbands. But everywhere I've been, you know, I've had to deal with tempo. I've had to deal with that. And I think it's it's think about mentally what is a lot easier for you to process. Is it a hand signal, a word, or is it reading? Reading is hard. And then we're putting this in the middle of a game where they have to read from a really small uh, sheet. And then they also have to then get their eyes up and then switch their brain to visually processing something. So for me, it's always been if I work with my kids and we come up with our own signals that all are have visual cues to them, then they know instantly off the visual cue. And now half the time they don't even have to watch me finish the signal they already know what it is just from me beginning because 
if you have a well-structured defense, things are kind of together. And so the kids already know, okay, he's starting to signal this. I know what this call is. And so then now their eyes are back to the field. I think another thing that you're seeing is people are packaging or BTF, which is blitz the formation. They're packaging their calls so that it's formationally based. Um, I think at the college level and the NFL level, you're getting these ultra package deals where it's like, look, and it goes back to the all 11 concept that we talked about. If I know I've got this package in, I know I'm going to probably get these formations. Well, this is our call and whatever they come out in, this is what we're going to run. And we've got one of four things and it's all off the formation. And the kids only have to know four things, but it's all, it's all formationally based. I think the other thing that you're seeing trending right now is making your athletes students of the game and being better teachers as coaches. You know, I thought Mike Tomlin was really powerful uh, and I think the NFL gets uh, kind of is where you see it sometimes, especially in the way that they run their drills. Sometimes you always see it, some of these drills go viral, but you know, you've got to be able to teach your players. You can't control everything. And I think that's such a hard thing for coaches is to, l to let go of the control and to realize it's not about me. I'm not the one playing, you know, I, you know, it's about, it's about the kids being able to execute you know, if you're a coach that's constantly taking over and showing them physically getting in there and running the route for them or running the drill for them or doing the drill for them, you've got a lot of kids standing around that aren't doing anything. They've got to be able to be comfortable with making a mistake, and they've got to be able to look back at you, and you've got to be able to have it to where you can't, you don't have to lecture everything. Do you know, do they know your verbal cues? Do they know your hot words? Do they know what you're expected of? Did you go through the drill prior to doing it? I, I think what you're seeing now is kind of this revolution and it's player led of, look, we need to know the why we, and then you need to show me how, and then I'm going to go out and I'm going to execute it. And that's kind of a trend that I've seen, especially with some of the colleges that I visited as of like, look, we're trying to build these create these, these complete players because it's not this, this generation one thing, we can say whatever we want about it, but they are forcing you to be a great teacher. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I agree with you 100%. And obviously that's something we talk about on this podcast all the time. And in, in that regard, continuing the conversation, you know, we certainly are a traditions-based sport. And sometimes the way the structure of things could remain unchanged for decades. What things have you seen trending in terms of uh, maybe al alternate alternative type practice formats, maybe different types of periods during practices in terms of what you just said, being a better teacher. I think one big thing that I hope continues to trend is playing small side games. I went and visited England this year. The British American Football Coach Association invited me over. I flew over, had a blast over there with those guys. One thing that they do so much better than what we do in America coaching-wise, and they may not, they may be decades behind us in terms of football knowledge and the sport's not that big over there, but the one thing that they do so much better than us because of their legacy within rugby and soccer is playing the game within practice so many times in american football how many times have you gone to a practice and you've seen a long line of kids and a one kid drill 
I mean, I think our, our youth sports is where it should change drastically. You know, I, I not, you know, at the high school level, the college level and the pro they're counting reps, right? They're counting the reps. They're making sure that the kids get reps. It, they're very cognizant. Uh, and the good programs are anyway, they're very cognizant of how, who's getting reps and how many reps they're getting and making sure that everybody is at least getting some sort of playing time. But I think even at the, at, at all levels of football, playing small side games, half line, uh, for coverage schemes, uh, two V two for coverage schemes. How are you, uh, kind of even a, maybe a two, a two V three or, or a two V two, uh, offensive line versus de- defensive line getting away from singular person because this is the ultimate team sport. There is not another sport that is like it in the world. It is an ultimate team sport where all 11 people have to be doing the same thing on multiple occasions for the team to win. And why would you not then be constantly practicing in team settings? Now, I'm not saying get rid of individual drill. That, that or the indie time. That's not what I'm saying at all. Football is a very technical, very technical sport. You need that individual time. But in terms of teaching concepts and schemes, you're not going to get that done in a one-on-one setting. I think also what you're seeing is the relaxing of rules across the board in football of allowing football coaches to coach football outside of the fall. That's something that's always been done here in Texas, but you're starting to see this in other states where you can kind of go through drills. Well, what that's allowing you to do is create more of a college-like program, more of a pro-style program where we're really focusing on the technical aspects of football in the winter and pre-spring. The moment we hit spring, we should be able to have had a bunch of walkthroughs should have been able to have a bunch of meetings. We should have an idea of what our schematics are going to be so that way when we transition into practice that we are now running a lot more small side games, and I don't need that 20, 30 minutes of indie. I just remember as a player, you give me 30 minutes of indie, and I'm backpedaling for 30 minutes, like I'm bored. When are we going to get to play the game? Kids play football so that they, they can play football. You know what I mean? Like, yes, at the college level in the NFL, it's a business. But at the at, if we want to grow this sport and to continue to grow it, we need to find ways for the kids to play the game because that's what they're doing. They're there to be with their buddies. They're there to play the game. Why are we not playing the game? You know, I go to my, my son's youth football practice, and I see kids standing in line. I see kids standing for five, ten minutes while they're running a, a drill. They're more focused on, well, i got to make sure i got to get this play in instead of, are we teaching the game of football and are the kids playing football? And if you're going to your practices and you're sitting down and you're looking at your practice planning and you've got an hour worth of indie time and you're doing individual drills, you, how can you, how can you incorporate more games within that so that they're playing the game? We want them to be game ready, but then we don't ever play the game. And I think that's something that we can all get better is practice planning. I don't think we need three hour practices. I think you go to every level at the top level. They're getting less and less time in the NFL. They're getting less and less time at the college level. At the high school level, we have just as little time, if less, than what they've got. We can't, you know, three-hour practices, after about two hours worth of practice, the kid's not paying attention. They're just trying to survive. We don't want survivors. Right. Because once you go into survival mode, you're not learning anything anymore. Those reps are completely meaningless. 
Uh, you know, that's one thing I learned from our Bryles. You know, he, he talk, I know Feed the Cats has become really, really popular with a lot of coaches. I mean, he was doing that when, when I first got to Baylor in 2011. I mean, I'll never forget – We'd be in the we'd be towards the end of practice, and he would be like, "We're done, we're good." We, everybody, you know, so he felt like they were getting tired. We're done, you know. Hour forty-five to two hours is a, is that that's the window that you want to try and get your practices in. And if you feel like you don't have enough time, then you're not planning. You're not planning accordingly, and you're not really going through the things that you need to go through prior to the practice starting. Coach, I like how you carried that through all levels of football, from youth to high school on up to college and pro that we do have to be smart with practice time and what we're doing there. And kids want to play, right? Regardless of the level, they want to play the game. Right. So let's talk about the, the last level here in terms of trends, the high school level, what kinds of things have you seen really 21 heading into 22? I mean, I, I still think the three high safety scheme within high, it just makes the most sense for a lot of, a lot of, high schools i mean you go to most high schools 90 percent of high schools are going to be all we've got is a bunch of tweeners how can i you know he's not really a linebacker but he's not as fast, he's not fast enough to play safety how could where can i find this and i think the three high system where i only got to find three linemen and i only have to get really good at a couple of things i and my mic backers all you know my inside linebackers they only have to be really good at a couple of things and then i've got all these athletes i think the proliferation of seven on seven the popularity of it kids want to play it it's just you've got more dbs and more receivers than you've ever had and it's not necessarily that everybody's going back to 10 personnel i just i think the days of the 10 personnel spread and just doing that i just don't think i just don't think that that's viable but I do think that the three high system within the high school level, you're just going to continue to see it grow because it fits so many schools needs because I don't have a lot of D linemen. I don't have a lot of linebackers. I've got all these, I've got all these secondary kids. How can I get them and put them in places to be successful? Um, So I think that is it. I think you're going to see the trickle down effect of creepers and sins going from even spacing to odd spacing, odd spacing to even spacing, especially within the run fits. You know, the use of the internet, the use of social media has really just done numbers for the high school coaching. It used to be, you know, here in the state of Texas, where I live, I can drive an hour and go to Baylor. I can drive 30 minutes to go to SMU, 45 minutes to TCU. Um, I can drive two hours to go to Texas. Um, I can drive an hour and go to UNT. Like I can go I, within two hour drive, I can go to like all five of the biggest schools in the state. Uh, not everybody's like that. And not every program in every state is just open for, you know, they don't just open their doors here in this state. If you don't have your doors open for high school coaches, you're not going to last for very long. It's, and not every state's like that. But what, what has happened with the, with the social media and the internet and everything is that the access to information has, has really just accelerated the growth of coaches and i think and i want that to continue to happen um and i think that that's an important thing the concepts and things that you see on saturday and sunday that you can bring those in those best practices you can now find the tools to be where okay this can fit for my program in this way where it used to be well they're doing that at the nfl level that's great they've got they've got a bunch of freak athletes that i i'm gonna i'm gonna turn the football off on sunday and i can't pay attention where now conceptually and the pedagogy is out there for everybody 
And so now it's so much easier access to film, access to uh, some playbooks, access to coaches is just so much different, I think, because of COVID as well. More, more coaches are willing to sit down and do a Zoom. They're more willing to do a Zoom clinic than they are to actually physically go somewhere. Uh, so I think you now have all these college coaches, these NFL coaches willing to talk, maybe not necessarily the NFL, but these college coaches willing to talk more and more because recruiting is, is what ke- keeps them fed. The X's and O's part is just fun. It's recruiting that keeps them fed. And the only way to constantly be in contact with, with coaches is to give them information, right? If I give you information, you give me information on the kids. So I think to me, schematically, uh, three high safety system, I think the, the creepers and sims, uh, it's going to continue. I think you're going to see more diverse coverage structures. We're just not going to see a 3-4 cover 2 team or a 4-2-5, you know, Pat Narduzzi quarters nine-man spacing team anymore. I think people are starting to realize we've got to do multiple things, that we can't just sit in the same thing and do it over and over and over again. Well, Coach, it was great to catch up with you here today. You certainly shared a lot in terms of what you've been seeing and appreciate all you're doing for the game. And coaches, again, if you haven't heard of it, a great website, matchquarters.com. Great follow on Twitter at the underscore coach underscore A. Be sure to check out all he's doing. Coach, great to catch up with you here again and certainly would like to catch up with you uh, not too far down the road. You bet. Anytime.